I said, every race is an experience, and even if it is in your fastest, then it's still going to be a good one to look back on. Welcome to Chill Track Friday. I'm <laughs> was that the joke? Because <laughs> no. you told me there was going to be a joke. I just hit my headphones on the mic because the mic is at my level of my nose. Uh, let's try this again. Welcome to Chill Track Friday. I'm Anne. Hello, hello. This is Ali. <laughs> so the joke was that before we started this recording, I was like, oh, we're having such a good rapport. This is going to be a great intro. And then we had all these technical difficulties and now I'm like pissed. <laughs> But I'm actually not because I'm laughing. Anyway, that was I was like, oh, that's, if, you know, if that's you pissed. That's pretty good. <laughs> Lots to talk about today before I our know. intro. We're back, back at Chill Track Friday, the podcast that's about all about running, all things running, bringing you journeys of people talking about not going out too fast. That was our theme in the beginning, right? I know. Are we still on that theme? 38 episodes in, is that right? I think, I think so. so. I actually listened to the intro that we did, episode zero. I listened to that recently. We sounded so young and inexperienced. I agree. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Um, what I love about the intro was, and I think we might have mentioned this later in an episode, but we basically gave ourselves that deadline. We just like put it out there. We didn't really have anything yet planned. I mean, we did. We knew what we wanted to do, but we didn't. We could have waited a lot longer. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're like, no, let's put this date out, then we have no choice but to get the work done and actually get the episodes out there. Yeah. Which is good, which is a good way to kind of approach things, especially because we did have content in the in the library. Yeah. Um, this is also a podcast where once in a while we talk a little bit about coffee. Yeah, we used to talk a lot about coffee, but we have, we're going to make up for the lack of coffee talk in what we're about to say, because we have some expert knowledge now. I don't know about that, but sure. If you say so. <laughs> I think we do. Um, you did something interesting for your birthday. Can you can you tell our listeners what that was? And I actually encourage people to, if they if they want to experience something new and they're into coffee, this is that was kind of cool. I did an Airbnb experience for my birthday, and I made it a private event, so I invited a few people. And it was a coffee class. It was called Coffee Masterclass with a world famous judge so it's this guy <laughs> what's his name ricardo in his review i was like ricardo is amazing and then three sentences later i'm pretty sure it was autocorrect because of roberto manje but it switched to roberto <laughs> anyway, anyway we digress as we usually we do. digress yeah sorry so yeah it was like a private zoom room with this with um ricardo in mexico city and he, it was a tour. I mean, it was amazing. The The experience started with him walking down the street, going to his house. And is, can you remind me, was the house, it wasn't where Frida Kahlo lived, but it was inspired by her. Yeah. It's in the same neighborhood. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just this really beautiful, like beautiful blue, like azure blue door. And, um, and he took us into the kitchen and he told us all about his story about how he got into what he's doing and. I'll let you share some, please. Yeah. No, actually, I don't want to spoil it if somebody wants to do it. Oh. <laughs> his story. He's like, what if people show up to his Airbnb? Like, yeah, we we listened to it on a podcast. We know what you're going to do. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> but we learned a lot. We we went through, like, different ways of making coffee and, like, what the per the perfect proportions are and the best beans and stuff. It was super informative, and it was really fun. Yeah, I really learned about just there were these, like, things that he did that culinary-wise, like, if you have taken a class, you might have done them before, but it was very interesting how he made you see how smell is such an important part of tasting mm -hmm. and how tastes can be balanced and imbalanced and what does that really mean. All of this was obviously digital and online over Zoom, mm -hmm. and it still felt kind of very personalized. Like You felt like he had really thought through and engaged everyone, and it was kind of very interesting, and you, you learned a lot in terms of how to, you know, what how to make a good good cup of coffee and what does that mean obviously yeah. it means different things to different people but 
at least you figure out what you like and what your palate's like, and then how do you get that? Yeah. And I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, it was cool. I really enjoyed the experience. And I was at my parents' house, and my parents were on the call. And the next morning, my mom had bought a bag of recommended beans, <laughs> and she made the coffee, and it was so good. It was so good. Didn't It basically was – it tasted so good that you didn't need cream or milk or sugar. It was just, like, perfectly balanced. I did not actually do such a good job when I tried <laughs> I was actually really happy to see the ratios he shared with us and like the ways of making. I was like, oh, I'm already doing that. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's good. Yeah. And yeah. speaking of, I want to mention if anyone, if any of our listeners are in Washington, D.C. or going there, um, I can recommend a coffee place that I just discovered on my recent trip. And it's called Compass Coffee. And it's um, it's a D.C. coffee company. And it's so good. There's one in Georgetown and there's one in Spring Valley. And I was going to the one in Spring Valley and it's just so good. All you DC nerds out there. So now you know. I know. It's funny. It's, I started going every morning and it was the same people working every day. And the guy said to me on my second to last day, he said, gosh, it's so nice of you to get coffee for everyone in the house. Because I had this great routine going. I would get up really early, go for my run, uh, zip over to Compass, get four iced oat milk lattes, two for me. <laughs> And one for my mom and one for my dad. And it was just like, and pastries. And it was just kind of how the mornings went. That's great that they're all drinking oat milk as well. I know. <laughs> was that you're doing? Yeah. What was the name of the Airbnb experience if someone wants to try it? Yeah, it was Masterclass. It was Coffee Masterclass. Coffee with Masterclass. World famous chef. I think if you type in... Um, I don't even think I, t I just looked up Airbnb experience and it was, I think on the second or third page, but if you typed in coffee, it would probably come up straight away. Cool. Yeah. Definitely worth checking it out. He's a nice yeah. guy. Yeah. I liked his energy too. He was super mm -hmm. positive and especially like, you know, I think runners are, I find them to be super positive people. So it's, um, yeah, it'd be, it's a good match. One thing that's was reinforced for me on the, on the zoom event, which has been, also really prevalent and um, kind of what we're going through in the world is just how connected we are because he had people in common with someone on the call. So I thought that was really, really beautiful yeah. and shows how connected we are. And coffee is a great way to connect. You know, you sit and have a cup of coffee with someone. Oh, let's go for coffee. I haven't seen you. Let's go get a cup of coffee. Yeah. It's a nice thing. And that's how all this started. So it's very connected to our origination. Speaking about our origination, and connections. Nice segue, Ali. Um, <laughs> did you like how I did that? That was awesome. That was pretty cool, right? <clears throat> just patting myself on the back. You can see me on the Zoom. Just, oh, wait. Wait, wait, Just wait. an amazing host in general. Oh, back up, rewind. I know, Missed I'm a whole sorry. bunch of announcements. <laughs> <laughs> There's one. There's one that we're really excited about. Excited. <laughs> you own that. Go ahead. <laughs> What's the announcement? Um, so we are bringing back our featured athlete series because so many people are doing virtual marathons. We want to, we want to help you. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do the same thing that we did last year. Um, if you would like to be a featured athlete, which what that involves is that we coach you. Um, I know a lot of people are like kind of already into their plans and may already have one, but if you do, and if you don't, we'd be happy to look at them and kind of, you know, we'll coach you and, with that comes like a week we feature you on our Instagram and then we give you, um, we give you, <laughs> we get to interview you yeah. <laughs> at the end. And, um, I don't know. I just found that it was a very rewarding experience from our perspective last year. It was really, yeah, it was just really wonderful to help people and watch them, um, go through the process of training for a marathon and to be able to help them as much as we've been helped. Mm -hmm. And so, if you would like to apply to be a featured athlete, please send some information about you, what you're training for, and why you would like to be a featured athlete to us, Anne and Ali. And our email is chilltrackfriday at gmail. And should we have like a deadline for this? <laughs> yeah, since we were making it up. By the way, it will be all virtual. Not yeah, surprised. It's all virtual, um, yeah. We were ahead of the curve. We did it virtual last year, too. We're like, please, yeah, social distance. It's true. <laughs> well, let's see. This is the 14th. This is coming out on the 14th. So should we give them a week, the 21st? Or how about the 24th, which is a Monday? 
24 seconds, you know. Yeah. That's good. Cool. Yeah. So cool. I'm looking forward to working with you, coaching, learning. And speaking of that. Yes. Um, Ba-boom. <laughs> segue number two. Yeah, segue number two. I Speaking of that, we have a guest today who is special to both of us. For me, he was one of the first coaches that I got close to and, you know, learned like a lot from. His name is Bobby Asher. Um, I'll do his formal intro um, in a second because he sent us um, all his information. I've known Bobby since 2017, and that's kind of when I started getting serious about my running, and he was instrumental in kind of coaching me, teaching me, telling me, you know, what races to run, and always super positive and encouraging and being supportive of my running journey, and still goes on today, you know, whenever I have questions, he's always there to sort of answer and mentor. He's also the captain of our, um, well, he's part of our uh, Van Cortland Track Club team. Um, that's why actually I joined before I actually read some of his running accomplishments. Before you read his accomplishments, I'd like to share my experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, just to express gratitude to Bobby because um, my first experience, like he became part of my running life in 2016. And similarly, I was in a small group and he just made himself really available to answer a lot of questions and he helped me build a lot of confidence in my, not only my training, but also my racing and the mental aspect. And, you know, I really felt like I didn't know what I was doing and he really took me under his wing in terms of like explaining to me why, like he would say, oh, that's, you're really strong. You're a strong runner. And then he would tell me why. Bobby is an amazing coach and such um, an empathetic and compassionate person. And it's him being a coach is a gift to the athletic world. So yeah. um, thank you, Bobby. And he's been not just, we have been coached. And since we became coach, I've, since we became coaches, I myself have been kind of always took a cue from Bobby in terms of his coaching philosophy has been, I'm not just here to teach you. I'm actually here to learn from you just as much as I'm going to try to teach you. So, and I think that's a, that's a really sort of a great mentorship philosophy always to kind of keeping an open mind and learning from your athletes as you go as well. So speaking of Bobby and his own running, you know, he's been 23 years as a competitive runner starting in high school some notable PRs, the 429 mile indoors, 1505 5K outdoors, both of those in 2007. Um, 3054 outdoor track 10K, also 2007. That's 457 mile pace for those who want to know. 3158 healthy kidney 10K in 2009, also 2010, 109.49 New York City half, and a 238 ING NYC marathon in two th uh, 2009 pretty well accomplished runner himself yeah. um and he has a he has a lot of things to share so before more you know before i end up saying way too much or both of us end up saying way too much about bobby let's just dive right in and see what he has to say hope you enjoy the show welcome to chill track friday it's ann hello hello this is ali <laughs> who's our guest today I'm going to let him introduce himself. Is that okay? <laughs> okay, I want to say one thing before he does that. This is someone who's really special to us and has been integral and instrumental in both of our running journeys. So it's a real honor to have this lovely person who's about to introduce himself. <laughs> this is Coach Bobby Asher. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Bobby. We're so excited to have you. Oh, I just said we're so excited oh, to no, have you. Fail. No, You'll know why that is an inside joke, but well, that's it's a whole other thing. I'm sure I'll find out at some point. <laughs> and uh, maybe I should uh, just just say uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, this is a real honor, and thank you for having this podcast. Uh, it's I am a regular listener. I've I'm in the middle of some of the episodes right now, but I've listened to pretty much all of them. Uh, some of them even more than once. So. Thank you. Can you tell us one of your favorite episodes that you might that you have listened to more than once? <laughs> Just this is like a little bit of market research here on the spot. <laughs> uh, I would say that there are, there are various parts that I'll 
listen to definitely the uh the one with uh coach ken and ernie mm. uh because those are those are two mentors of mine uh i'm not working as closely with them now one-on-one but uh i can honestly say that uh listening to that definitely was it was just very special to hear hear the stories hear what they have to give to the sport what they continue to give and it's yeah just really inspirational then uh the sid howard one Mm -hmm. is just epic yeah he's a legend um and then the gordon bakulis one really awesome so yeah uh just every now and then i'll just uh be thinking about one of the episodes and i'll just give it another lesson in that in a particular part that that really touched me and I'll be thinking about them on runs and it's really helped my running uh the past uh what year yeah yeah it's been over a year so nice congrats on that thank you Bobby that means so much it's so nice to hear your take on things and as I mentioned in the intro, you're such an important part of our story. So when you're talking about Ken and Ernie, it's almost like trickle down coaching because they've worked with you and you've worked with both of us. And when I think about the originations of the podcast, I think of back in the olden days of group training when we would go to mm-hmm. Maison Kaiser for coffee and it was mm-hmm. sometimes only four of us and you were one mm-hmm. of the four and I was one of the four and you would share, you shared so much. You're such a good teacher and such a good runner and a wonderful coach and super inspirational and inclusive and you take care of people's feelings and you're just a sensitive, um, wonderful person. So thank you. I know all these like, cut it, cut it. <laughs> we love to say, you. No, it's so interesting to hear you say that about Ken and Ernie, because for us, when they sat down in front of the mics, we had known them so little. Mm-hmm. And I had literally come from your recommendation to you should have, have Ken on. And Ken was like, can I bring Ernie? He's in town at the same time. And we were like, uh, yes. yeah, we've heard these names like <laughs> go together. Yeah. And then once they opened up about the, oh my God, Boston. it's just, the Boston stories, the, how they met and like their friendly rivalry locally, just the whole, st- and both of them, they brought a little bit of a different flavor of personality to it and putting them together. We, we had no idea what we were going to get. And it turned out to be like mm-hmm. a super informative, funny storytelling episode that was pretty cool um and the other two you mentioned of course we i was just in london uh with one of Anne's friends who was just having coffee with her and she was like i listened to the sid howard episode that was so good (laughs) so so it's consistent feedback that's pretty that's pretty cool to hear yeah that that uh yeah the sid howard one definitely uh is is on uh yeah that that was just a really special episode uh, I mean, you because you forget, you just forget about the fact that he is just someone who is beyond any comprehension of ability for most of us. I mean, it's amazing to say this. There, there are probably five people in his age group who can still run like he does in new york but we're talking about uh 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 george hirsch who's the the chairman of the board of new york roadrunners eric seif who's on the board of new york roadrunners uh and then a few others all of whom are legends in the ryan community so you're on a legendary level there um yeah. So, so yeah, that 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 episode may come up a couple times in this episode. Yeah. And okay. I was just gonna say, let's talk about you. Yeah, I was okay. gonna. Th- it's gonna say I'm gonna piggyback off of speaking of legends. Like in our eyes, you are you you are a legend for us. Given I'm just gonna what and how Anne started describing you. Right, you're the first group training coach that I sort of ran with outside of group training. It was totally accidental because we were both stuck in the same snowstorm. Mm-hmm. We were the only two running in Central mm-hmm. Park, so it had yep. to it had to <laughs> sort of happen. Uh and since then you you know, you've answered so many things for both of us and coached us and we've been friends and you know in in, in the same setting so many times. So we want your story today. And I'm going to take us back. <laughs> What is your earliest memory of running? 
my earliest memory of running. I joined my dad for about probably a quarter of a mile when I was probably eight years old or something. Uh, my dad ran, my dad pretty much, he, he exercises pretty much every day for at least, uh, at least half an hour aerobically. He's been doing that for as long as I can remember. And he ran pretty much every day while I was young. And I just thought it was cool. So I decided to try it one day. So he let me come along. Yeah, it's funny. Usually I can remember exactly how I felt, but pretty sure I remember just thinking it was kind of like, not boring, but just like, I just need to study everything. Like I would get distracted. I had, um, uh, I mean, I guess I still have, but I had ADD as a kid and uh, I would get distracted very easily. So uh, my guess is that I probably saw a pine cone and kept on stopping to uh, see every pine cone or something that, that I saw. So, yeah, uh, that that's pretty much my earliest running memory uh, as far as, like, really planning to run and everything everything along those lines. Um, mile fitness test in, in elementary school, and my first race was about a mile. Uh, they, they called it a mile. It was a turkey trot. Uh, for the elementary school that my uh, my high school coach Kevin Youngs organized, and uh, it was about a mile. I have no idea what my time was. It was probably probably like ten minute miles or something, and I was second to last in that. Uh, uh, last place was a very good childhood friend of mine uh, named Eric, who uh, actually was being paced during that by his brother <laughs> Roger who had <laughs> won the sixth grade race. Oh, that's awesome. So, he, he ran the sixth grade race and turned around to pace the elementary race with his brother? For uh, his brother? Uh, well, no, well, they were separate. Oh, they separate. had okay. separate starts. Okay. But the first race that we saw was, uh, was Roger winning by quite a bit. <laughs> and I felt kind of bad that I was beating him, but... Uh, at the same time, I, I really didn't want to be last. Uh, <laughs> and I did, I did, I will admit, I did have dreams at that time of winning a race. I mean, I didn't, I had, I, I didn't know of anybody really. I knew who were, I knew, I knew which kids were the athletes, um, like who who just was real who were really good at soccer who were really good at uh whatever other i mean ball sports um and uh acing the fitness test and and all that which i was not doing i was not i was not an athletic kid i i really uh i mean i would go for uh long hikes on the weekends with my family but i was not an athletic kid at all in fact i was the last one picked, so to speak, uh, uh, sometimes not picked at all. And, uh, yeah, I would spend a lot of time alone. Uh, I mean, partly by choice, but partly just because I was kind of that spacey kid. Uh, so running, though, was uh, a very interesting feeling for me. I mean, it just, it, it was something where, I didn't care that I wasn't winning it. So I did that race every year and and kept on moving up in the in the pack. Then when I was going to be moving up from sixth grade, I had just finished the turkey trot and I mentioned to my mom that I I was really going to miss it and, and I I, uh, I didn't realize that I was gonna miss it that much. And I said this is a weird question, but how can I continue running? And she said, well, you can join the cross-country team. I had no idea what that was. I mean, uh, I, I didn't know that that existed. And I said, well, what is that? And she said, well, you just run. Uh, it said, it's like like the turkey trot, except you have a lot more of that. You'd probably enjoy it. I thought that sounded cool. Uh, and... Uh, when I started out, 
it was pretty much the same type of type of deal. I was way back in the pack for most of the races. I was never last, but pretty close. I mean, there was usually, uh, yeah, I mean, there was definitely one time when I was second to last again uh, during uh, during seventh grade. But I, I just kept getting better, started to become more fun. I started understanding how how to run it. I mean, just how to run the, how to pace myself uh, and what it was supposed to feel like. And uh, just getting over like, uh, it wasn't measured in miles per hour. It was measured minutes per mile. And sometimes that's different. Uh, varies course to course and stuff like that. Then eventually there were just, there were just a couple workouts where, I mean, one in particular where there was this kid who I just had a, uh, I I had sort of put him up on the pedestal of someone who was just way better than me. And I realized that I was feeling pretty good and I was getting closer to him. And I ended up passing him in the workout. Then just decided, well, if I can do it in a workout, why can't I try it in a race? And uh, we all have a couple moments like that in our, in our running careers. That was when I started realizing that, okay, I might actually be decent at this. Fast forward through my varsity years, there was one race where uh, it was a section championship. And I had been, at that point, I had already won some races. I had done, uh, I was very, very good on a uh, a low-key league level, which basically meant I was in the, the high 1030s for the two mi- or 3,200 meters, two mile. It's like a eight meter, eight meter difference or something like that. Uh, basically, two miles in ten uh, thirty. Uh, it was a section championship. I remember I really wanted to see if I could get the team to a high placing. So I just raced. I mean, I just stuck behind the kid who went out in the lead, and I just kept going. And then my coach, uh, Kevin Youngs, who I mentioned, uh, really, uh, I mean, I, I remember that race just as one where everything just clicked. His coaching clicked. My listening clicked. Everything just clicked. And at a certain point, it was probably two laps to go, which felt a lot longer at that time. I mean, now 800 meters, you don't think about really but uh especially at that effort though it seems like eternity mm-hmm. and he just giving me very good instructions is just pacing myself pacing myself and then finally you say okay pick it up take the lead now easy easy because i guess i had just like done three really hard strides to get out in front mm-hmm. and then he started shouting open your arms shorten your stride and when I did that, it was just like uh, uh, Billy Mills, the 10,000-meter uh, uh, gold medalist from 1964, uh, described uh, uh, a feeling of uh, having wings when he, when he kicked. I basically felt like that. Uh, I just, it, it was a surreal, exp- surreal feeling, and I won the race, and... There was a reporter from the local paper there at the finish line, and all of a sudden it hit me that I had just done something that was way beyond anything that I actually thought that I would be doing. And actually there is a picture uh, that I have of me crossing that finish line that was in the uh, journal news right below a picture of Derek Jeter. (laughs) And oh, that's awesome. So it was on the front page of the sports section in a little corner, but I was on the front page of the sports section for that one. And that was that was when I basically realized that, okay, I can start thinking about running in college and making just doing something different with this. Um, I love hearing the trajectory in terms of saying that you had some attention issues but then you Mm -hmm. found this running and maybe you weren't even conscious of the focus that you were putting on it and just hearing you 
share your story. I just, what I heard is a lot of, um, willing to try even when you're not doing so well. Most people quit mm-hmm. when they're coming in second to last more than one time. And I just, I admire, I admire that because something that you've always told me is give it time, give it time, mm-hmm. give it time. No question mark. Okay. <laughs> 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 I'm the fan club. It's, thank you for sharing that. First of all, I've heard, pieces of that so to hear it Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. a chronological order to see you know your development at that time it's really beautiful it it makes perfect sense I so you were second to last in that you felt bad and, and talking about elementary and then running kind of ended and you went to your parents saying I want to continue running you know what Mm -hmm. do I do and there may be parents today who are trying to, um, you know, who have who have kids, they might have ADD, right? Mm-hmm. Who have kids that might have mm-hmm. something else, right? Mm-hmm. What advice do you have for them, right? Because we'll get into the mentorship conversation in a second, but it's so important that mm-hmm. you had that support mm-hmm. and someone recognized saying, okay, that's, you know, he's coming to us and directly asking us this a lot of mm-hmm. times a kid might not even do that but you you know it's there it's mm-hmm. that their desire to do that do you have anything maybe not necessarily just for the parents maybe just in general in general in general for for the parents for the kids right on how to make sure that we don't miss the mark and nurture the talent and give each other the, that chance right mm-hmm. and be encouraging in that way uh well i mean it can vary case to case but uh yeah i mean a lot of it is i'd say that a lot of it is about asking questions um uh not just assuming that there's something wrong but thinking that there might be an opportunity there and uh so so yeah i mean the, when 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 i think back to the best teachers that i had and and i've talked with my girlfriend cassie a lot about this uh uh because uh for for multiple reasons but not uh not the least of which is that uh she's actually a speech pathologist and uh has uh just tremendous knowledge of uh just helping people and it's a i mean a big part of not missing the mark i think is what you said is uh just asking questions and really just giving a chance to people who can help um there so i I, i've mentioned uh, a couple times here uh but before uh but before getting on here about um uh my uh my mom's book that that she wrote called sidetracked uh and it's uh it's about a kid who basically had a similar experience to me um uh it isn't based on me but uh, there are aspects uh, of the character Joseph who uh, uh, that 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 are very similar, and uh, there is a character in it, uh, uh, Mrs. T, and uh, the the character's name is uh, Mrs. Teitelbaum, who is largely based on a very 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 dear teacher of mine. Uh, Nancy Tannenbaum, who passed away um, in February of 2009. And uh, she had been a coach uh, at one point, but basically she, she was one of those people who would just do so much talking and listening to all her students 
just really learning about them and and teaching teaching through learning i mean that's and that i mean that's something actually that i that i i i try to begin every every uh session of group training when we introduce ourselves and and stuff i i do say um i may not be the only one who says this but uh that I hope to learn as much from the athletes as I hope they learn from me, uh, because uh, that's that's how you become better at, at at everything. It isn't always easy, and sometimes we uh, we uh, go astray from that. But I would say that learning while teaching is a big big part of growth. Hope that answers your question. That absolutely <laughs> answers my question, and it's got my mind spinning. I went deep there. Uh, <laughs> no, it, it's I. I wish we we had the honor of meeting Nancy. Your, you know, Nancy Tanwan, Mrs. T. I'm so happy to hearing know her that. singing in the hallway was the best. <laughs> I it it resonates in so many parallels for me personally because I I have teachers that I'm from back home that were that for me right mm -hmm. in not necessarily sports but in academics in other ways that i'm still in contact with you know in regular touch with because they shaped a big part of like mm -hmm. who i am right um in in listening in encouraging in understanding more than myself on like what what i'm capable of and what i can achieve and they said things back when I was in eighth grade or seventh grade that have become mm -hmm. true now that I would have never imagined. Right. Uh, so I thank you for sharing that because that's beautiful. I, you know, we, we all have someone like that or multiple people like that. We're lucky in our lives. So that's really great. At what point or what, what were the decisions in you deciding to become a coach factors, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Basically, after I had been running in college, where I really, I got to a different level. Um, so, for a point of reference, my personal best in high school for the mile was uh, just a little over 440, and personal best for the two-mile, 3200, was 10.07. Mm -hmm. uh, so, technically, I guess 10.11 for two-mile pace. Um, in college, I actually dipped under 31 minutes for the 10k on the track okay which uh <laughs> you talk about a lot of laps uh we, we talk about yeah uh that that's 25 laps on a track mm -hmm. uh and it's a little monotonous uh that's a stealing that from uh coach brian shaw there um <laughs> <laughs> he seems to love that word um <laughs> but um yeah, uh, so I got into a very competitive level there. Um, and when you run in college, uh, it, it's hard to leave that, that group. Um, and I had, a, I had a very good coach, uh, who re uh, uh, Coach John Lynch, who now is at RPI. Uh, uh, he, just, he was very, very... Um, I mean, he was a good teacher for one thing. Uh, he just really, uh, just really knew the science behind it, and uh, actually had been mentored by Coach Jack Daniels. Uh, it has nothing to do with the whiskey, uh, but does have a lot to do with basically the godfather of exercise physiology. Uh, really, everything that we use for training plans is pretty much a byproduct of either his studies, uh, Arthur Lydiard's, or Joe V. Hills. Uh, really, we're talking about the Apple, Dell, and Microsoft mm -hmm. of uh, running coaches there. Uh, that, that, yeah, that uh, weird analogy maybe, but that, that was how the um, coordinator of a lecture put it once. I thought it was decent. Uh, basically... Uh, he came from being mentored by legend and, uh, he coached that way too. Um, 
yeah, and basically, uh, I just wanted to continue and learn. So I I was still taking a fifth year, uh, just because the course load at uh, SUNY Plattsburgh was kind of hard to carry uh, more than three classes a semester while also doing 90 to 100 miles a week. I stuck around, started training for a marathon, and I was a volunteer assistant coach. So uh, basically, uh, couldn't run for the team. My eligibility was up, but I was able to go on the bus trips, uh, stay in a hotel, and uh, still basically be a part of it and start passing on the knowledge, uh, oversee a workout here and there. So after I graduated, I was working a little bit in the uh, hotel industry. And I, I came back to New York City, I mean, back to the New York area in September of 2008. And within just a couple weeks of my getting back, the recession uh, hit full on. And there were just no jobs in my field. I mean, at least uh, that... Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I just had a lot of trouble finding a job. So uh, one of my other favorite teachers, uh, Tim Haas, suggested that I apply for uh, the open modified track uh, coaching position. And uh, I did and uh, got it. And it wasn't a full-time job by any means, but... Uh, it was just, it was a different angle. I mean, it was just something different. Uh, and I was scared to death of working with kids of that age. I mean, my first day, it was just like, oh, wow, this is, I mean, they actually don't know anything about this. I, I have to actually sell the sport now. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to scare them. I, I mean, it was, it was just different. But actually, within the uh, same week, I also went along with another high school coach of mine, uh, J.C. Periak, who was also a coach with the New York Roadrunner running classes, which was the predecessor of uh, GT. And I went to a workout, uh, planning on just going to check it out. And I, I started I started coaching with the running classes and realized that that was something I, uh, I mean, I like coaching. Uh, I also, around that time, uh, also got a job at the Bronxville Running Company, and uh, we started having group runs. And I met Laura Rodriguez, who who has been on the show, and uh, I coached her for her first marathon, uh, which uh, was uh, a lot of pressure uh, because I I. I knew how good she could be, and I wanted to uh, obviously do the best I could there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we talk about mentors. Uh, she also was a mentor of mine. Uh, I really learned a lot. Uh, just uh, that, that that's the perfect example of learning as much from your athletes as they hopefully learn from you. Um, uh, just when it comes to mental toughness and preparation and dedication, uh, uh, it was very humbling. So, and to see what she's done now is incredible. Uh, I, I don't know if it's been mentioned yet about her, uh, 253, at, uh, at the, uh, calendar national marathon. We're going to have her back on to yeah. talk about that. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because I, I want to hear a little bit more about that. Then um, I, I continued to coach middle school for seven years, uh, or six years after that. I was working alongside a guy named Dennis Blake. He was actually a bronze medalist in 1996 for the Jamaican 4x4 team. Wow. And I really learned a lot about uh, just all the little things, uh, drills and how much that helps and just learned a different style, and he knew nothing about distance running, so we really worked very well together in terms of how to just teach each other. But then when I started working at New York Roadrunners in um, Runner Services, it was right around the time that 
uh, Glover retired and uh, Stuart Calderwood and uh, John Honorkamp built a new program, started GT. And when John Honorkamp left uh, New York Roadrunners, I went to find out if there was anything that was needed uh, in his absence. And uh, they needed someone to coach GT. So uh, I had actually just done the wine glass marathon uh, like five days before. Uh, my legs were still aching. Uh, but I went and uh, showed up at 545 at Columbus Circle. It was before the run center was around. Uh, it was very shortly before they opened it. But can we just have a short interlude here? You ran the yeah. You had run with the wine glass marathon five days before. What was the time on that marathon? That one was two forty one. Okay, two forty one. Moving on. <laughs> so so five forty five at Columbus Circle. <laughs> yeah. So two forty one. Yeah, and then I I just uh, started coaching again, and at that time actually uh, the schedule wasn't working. I wasn't able to do the schedule at New York Roadrunners and do the uh, coaching at the for the for the kids anymore so it had actually been about a year since i had actually uh since i had actually coached and i also hadn't really been coaching anyone i had been focusing more on getting my masters and my own training i mean really the the years before i had really uh pretty much just i i had dug in pretty deep uh doing very high mileage to get back under 240 for the for the marathon i had hopes of sub 230 uh but the weather in uh uh my focus race was boston it was boston 2015 which was not as bad as 2018 but it was pretty close and pr just wasn't quite in the cards but uh but yeah it'd been a while since i had coached and I don't remember who first called me coach there, but basically, once someone calls you coach, it's addictive, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just, yeah, you 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 can't. There's no going back. <laughs> I think maybe this is tied to the addiction of being called a coach. <laughs> you mentioned so many different mentors throughout your life. Mm-hmm you know, from your parents and your teacher, Nancy, and then it keeps going, your your coaches. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of having mentors that are really good? Sometimes that it, it isn't about finding them. It's about just realizing that they could be one. First of all, when, when I when I look for a mentor, uh, they they have to be able to, think outside the box um yeah i mean the, the importance of having a mentor is just that uh you need to take advice from from others to get better so uh and it looks like you've got a question oh no no i was just gonna say when i think about that question the first thing that comes to my mind is that when the student is ready the teacher appears and it's about mm. the willingness to yeah. see what's in front of you and look beyond what you think I you think might possibly know. I think that makes a lot know. of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of it goes back to the asking questions and uh, just sometimes it's very obvious that someone is going to be uh, that someone has the potential to uh, be a mentor. Uh, like uh, people like uh, uh, Coach Ken and Coach Stewart, uh, people who have been in the sport for, I mean, longer than I, I think any of us have been alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and at a very high level. Uh, like, I mean, very high level, uh, coach Ken 226 for the marathon and Stewart, uh, 228, uh, but both of them able to connect with, with runners who are 
in some cases just starting out, uh, sometimes realizing that they've got a huge amount of talent and uh, some who are starting where I started. Uh, in in some cases at a at a older age, um, I mean, well, most of the time older than eleven. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and yeah, that that's a I mean that's a gift. Uh, it it it's it's a gift to uh, to be able to work with that range uh, and connect with everyone as a coach, uh, as a person. It's as as a person, it's one thing. As a coach, it's very, it 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 takes a mastery to be able to apply uh, the principles to different levels, because it's they are similar, but you have to. Uh, it can take a lot of patience, and it takes a lot of analysis sometimes too. Mm-hmm. This actually leads me to a question that I want to ask you specifically about your process as a coach and you Mm -hmm. mentioned you kind of alluded to it a little bit in reference to Laura but how do you handle the pressure that comes along with having a high performing athlete or just even someone who's new it's a huge responsibility at any level of runner well uh I mean at that time I think we were both learning uh yeah I mean really it's about doing the best that you can and uh patience sometimes the hardest thing to do is to step back a little bit. Uh, You have to trust the athlete too. I mean, if there isn't, uh, if you don't have trust in the athlete, then I mean, that's a sign that it's not working. I mean, that might not be permanent, but there has to be that, that connection of trust uh, between the athlete and the coach for it to work. But you also can't be afraid to step back in uh, Matthew Futterman's book, uh, running the edge. Uh, I, I think what, what's very powerful, and I was really glad it was written about, uh, was how little talking Bob Larson does during the races. And, and just in general, just he just says the right thing at the right time. And uh, I think a lot of us have this image of coaches as someone yelling on the sidelines of a race— and I mean, as I mean, anyone who's done a marathon uh, has probably figured out by now that yelling at someone during a marathon isn't really going to do very much. <laughs> I mean, that that's that, that it's just not going to work. You, you're, uh, 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 yeah, it's just not going to work. Period. Especially if it's you're almost there and you still have like five k to go. Yeah, well, <laughs> someone. Well, hopefully a mentor or coach won't say that. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I'm I'm not gonna go there. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, you just do the best that you can and just listen to the athletes. Two of my athletes, um, Liam Colley and Susan Moore, are both on a level where. They're competitive, and they want to do their best every single race, and sometimes that's just not possible. Uh, and uh, before Staten Island half, uh, Liam was about a week, he was two weeks yeah two weeks out from the Marine Corps Marathon. Uh, he and his wife had just had their first baby like three weeks before or something like that. And uh, he'd gotten one hour of sleep the night before. And I just said, go by effort. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I, I just said, go by effort. Don't go too crazy and just do what you can. Uh, he ended up PRing. <laughs> uh, I gave a little bit of a more difficult strategy to susan because she was three weeks out from new york and that's a tricky staten island staten island half is a tricky event because it's a club points race so people want to do well um and uh you're starting to feel in shape and just strong and you feel like you can pr and all that but the 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 big race is like 
so close yet so far, mm-hmm. vice versa. It's just weird timing for a half marathon. So I said, I just want you doing the first 10 miles at marathon pace, and then you can pick it up in the, the last part of it. But I don't want you racing all out. It's going to take too long to recover by the time you do. It's going to... It's just gonna get in the way of your long runs, and you you can't we we can't go all out, and paid off because she ended up PRing in um, uh, New York, which is not an easy course to PR on. Yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, basically, you just need to trust. You just need to trust your advice. You just need to trust your own advice, and. Do you use your coaching philosophy to coach yourself? <sighs> I certainly try. <laughs> uh, following one's own advice is the toughest thing to do. And uh, yes, I do. Uh, more so in a race. Uh, yeah, I mean, basically, like like tomorrow is the Fred LeBeau half and... Uh, it's, uh, a very odd event. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's two loops of Central Park, uh, and it's got three Harlem Hills, so it's not a, it's not an easy course. Uh, I know some people who have hit PRs on the course, uh, (laughs) or one of the courses, um, uh, it's changed a couple times over the years, but... Yeah, uh, basically at this at this point, I've I've been starting to get back into shape. I've had uh, uh, a couple years of kind of uh, let's just say subpar racing. Uh, just sometimes you just ha- sometimes you just have years where where uh, stuff isn't clicking in races and uh, different parts of life are gonna. Uh, take the take the front burner. Uh, that's I mean that's just it's gonna happen. Uh, but you have to look at it as uh, every race is an experience, and uh, you're you're not going to always be able to do your best. And sometimes running by effort is the best way to go about it. And uh, uh, that's, I know some people don't know exactly what that means, uh, but basically once you've done, yeah, once you've done a few workouts at half marathon pace or you've done a couple half marathons, you have an idea of what your breathing is supposed to be like. Uh, for me, there's a feeling in my, in my diaphragm that I can just, I can feel the, uh, just the way that it's flexing that I'll know that I am at a certain effort uh that there's yeah there some people it's there, there's always something whether it's like a certain cadence with their mm-hmm. their hip movement uh or something about the way their neck is moving or something they'll know what effort it is mm-hmm. uh so doing that and just trusting that it'll work is the best way to go about that and like i said every race is an experience and even if it isn't your fastest then it's still going to be a good one to look back on bobby i I don't want this to end but (laughs) i have like other questions maybe we need to do a part two (laughs) um we finish usually asking our guests for one if they had one training tip for our listeners what would Mm -hmm. it be well, I would say that uh, going back to what I said before about every race being an experience, uh, I really would say that that's I, I would say that that's the most important thing to approach training with because well I mean goals are very important. Uh, I mean absolutely goals are important uh, and uh, I mean, I've got a few goals right now uh, for my own racing, but uh, sometimes you you just you just 
yeah, uh, basically just, uh, I mean, do a little planning. Do do a little bit of a uh, a planning of your just which races you want to be just experiences, and which ones you want to plan a little differently for and go for a time. My favorite race of uh, 2019 was certainly the Boston Marathon running step-by-step step with Cassie. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, that was um, just unforgettable. Uh, and especially because it came, uh, or not the least of which is because it came uh, the year after I had dropped out of of Boston from hypothermia. So uh, the the most important training tip is really just, Know that you can achieve something big and don't be afraid to go for something bigger. But at the same time, just know that no matter what, you will be able to look back on your experiences fondly down the road. That's really beautiful. Thank you, Bobby. And thank you so much for giving us your time and expertise today and just your sensitive approach to coaching and running and everything. We'll see you in two weeks. Well, thank you.